Uh, Nehemiah chapter number 8. I've, I've known all week um, the thought, uh, but I, I don't know any more on how to go about it now than I did Monday or Tuesday when he gave it to me. Uh, but Nehemiah chapter number 8, I've, uh, I've sort of jumped around uh, what I wanted to read, and, and it seems like they've always come back to this. Uh, chapter number 8 and verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and I'm not going to read that list of names, uh, and Ezra in verse 5 opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with the lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Um, in verse number 8, I'm not going to read 7. Uh, verse number 8 says, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now go to chapter number 9 and verse number 1. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. And you could read on, and uh, but for time's sake we won't do that. <clears throat> if there would be one more place I would read, and I'm not going to read it, I think I can quote it. I said it last Sunday, 2 Chronicles 7.14, you probably know it by heart. And it's if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Uh, then I will hear from heaven and it will me just, I don't want to misquote that. Well, that's all right. Uh, for time's sake, we won't read it. But I, I, that, that's the basis of my thought. And I'm going to try to preach to you on the thought of a recipe for revival. Uh, now, I've thought about this all week and, and I enjoy uh, cooking and grilling and using my smoker and I'm always looking for recipes to try. And, and if, I could, if I could have a little fun, Cynthia, I love you. I'm going to have some fun at your expense this morning. She told me once that, uh, that if the recipe told her to, uh, to turn around three times in the kitchen, she would turn around three times in the kitchen uh, while she was making that. And, and, and we had a good laugh about that, but I want you to know something. If you change the recipe, you change the result. Now keep that in mind. 
If you, in other words, uh, uh, there are some things that, that I try to stay away from with salts and things uh, uh, like that with my heart conditions. Uh, and so we, uh, we've had to learn how to substitute some things. Uh, and my friend, there are a few things that, uh, that you can, uh, might think uh, that would make a good substitute but it doesn't work. Uh, uh, when, you, uh, when you get it together, it might look right. It might look like the real deal. But it changes because the ingredients have been changed. If you alter the recipe, you alter the taste. You alter the results. Uh, my friends, we have tried for years uh, uh, in, in our churches to, uh, to change the recipe for revival. And what do you say? What do you mean by that? I mean we tried to substitute our belief in the place of what thus saith the word of God. Amen. We tried to substitute uh, some of our uh, things. Uh, and we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. There are some things that we teach that probably aren't biblical. And I'm not going to get into details, uh, but they are traditions. Uh, of men, and uh, and we uh, we try to substitute those things in place of the Word of God, and really all that's done is made a mess. A man given anything and any responsibility in time, man will always make a mess of it if we rely on our own understanding. Uh, so if we think about, I believe, and I know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. I realize that was written unto the nation of Israel. I understand that people try to make it applicable to America and so forth. And maybe it is. I'm not saying it's not. But one thing I will say it is applicable to today is the church. I don't know if it's applicable to America as much as it is. It's applicable to the church. I believe in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 that you have the ingredients you have the things necessary. Uh, you have a recipe for revival. And now let me, uh, let me uh, say this. We all think of revivals. And, and what do we think of? Well, if you have, uh, how was your meeting? How was your revival? Uh, well, how many got saved? And that's a legitimate thing to want to know. Uh, that's, uh, but but let, me, let me stop and just park right there a minute. Uh, uh, the lost uh, have nothing to do with bringing about revival. They really don't. Uh, it's altogether the responsibility of the saints, of the redeemed, of the church. And if we do that, the lost will absolutely fall under the power of conviction. Uh, but they will never, unless, uh, I mean, they're one that they can get saved, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand me. But my point being is God is not angry with the lost uh, for, not, uh, for not bringing about revival. Uh, but I think at times he's sort of, maybe not angry, but at least hurt. And I, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Well, let me just say right now, you read what the first church in those churches of Revelation was told. They were told at Ephesus, Ephesus was a great city in Asia Minor in Asia. It was, a, it was full of trade. It was, a, it was a commercial city. And Paul stayed there two or three years and preached to them. I started up churches, I guess. And one of them was the church at Ephesus. And the Bible says that Paul told them in the book of Acts, he said, you're never going to see me again. I'm going to sail out of here. And he said, you'll never look upon my face 
and they cried and they wept and they hugged Paul's neck and Paul said there's one thing I want you to know I've declared everything that God's told me I've told you I didn't hold back anything and that would have been profitable he said but there shall arise those after me and they will be wolves in sheep's clothing and you mark them down and you stay away from them Paul was concerned he knew he would never see them again and he was concerned about the well-being of that church well a few years maybe 30 years I don't know how many how much Time had passed, but but it wasn't that long until until John wrote the book of Revelation. And the first church that was mentioned was the church at Ephesus. And you know what the Lord said? He said, I know your works. I know your labor. And I know your patience. I know how you have tried those that say they are apostles and they are not. And now what does all of that mean? It means doctrinally they were still pretty sound. It meant doctrinally uh, they uh, they were still uh, preaching the right thing. It meant that doctrinally uh, God was pleased with them. Uh, they had put the false professors and the false prophets out of the church. And God said, I know your works and I know your labor. He knows when we're working. So what does all of that mean? That sounds like a good church. Well, to the outside it was. The way the church looked, it was good. Doctrinally sound. What was the problem then? Their love. That was the issue. He said, but I have something against you. He said, you left your first love. And he begged them. He said, remember from which thou art fallen and repent. And do the first works, or else I will remove the candlestick out of that place. And now, what does that mean? It means that John said, I saw the Son of God walking in the midst of the candlesticks. And the candlesticks are the churches. So, what he's saying here, a church may be doctrinally sound, and they may be preaching the right things from their pulpit, but inside they can be dried up. And if that ain't the case of the churches today, you can't point at them a lot. Most of them around here that I'm doctrinally, we're okay. Doctrinally, we're good. We're sound. I know not everybody thinks so, but that's all right. But inwardly, where's their love? And, and, and so that's why I said maybe God gets hurt. Now imagine what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. He's the husband. And he's saying the wife has lost her desire. Toward me. Let that settle in. Let that settle in. In a marriage, when love on one side begins to grow cold, sometimes it grows cold because of the way that they're treated by their spouse. Sometimes that happens. But let me ask you this. Has our bridegroom treated us good? Has he not provided everything that we need? So why does their love wax cold? I thought about this all week. Now you pray for me. The ingredients for revival, the recipe for revival, it starts out like it absolutely has to. It's my people. That's not the lost. But that's the church. It's my people which are called by my name. Shall, what is the first ingredient? You must humble yourself under the hand of God. And you must get to the place 
where you realize, Lord God, our church is drying up and nobody's getting saved and nobody's coming to the altar and you must get to the place where you take a look. And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. It's when we, we must get to that point where we humble ourselves before the hand of a mighty God. If we skip that one, the rest of them won't work. That's the first ingredient in this recipe for revival that God will not use an, uh, an arrogant vessel. But if we get to the place where we humbly say, Lord God, I need you in my life. And my, and my finances are a wreck. My family's a wreck. My home life's a wreck. My work life's a wreck. Everything that I touch is, we must say, God, I know I can't fix this. I know that we don't have that power. Humble yourself under the hand of God. What happens is, years ago, years ago we had no choice but to be humble. And why do you say that? It's because years ago we didn't get into our car and drive down to the supermarket and get some, uh, get some produce and vegetables. No, no, no. And maybe a few. But most of the people years ago knew that they had to humble themselves. They planted their crops in the spring and, and humbled themselves before God and prayed for a harvest in the fall. And they knew without God's blessings, they'd go hungry. Uh, let me take that into a spiritual thing. Uh, they had to plow the field. Uh, they had to plant the seed. Uh, they had to weed the garden. Uh, they had to get all the thorns and thistles out of the way. Now let me bring it down to spiritual. We, we come to the house of God. I'm so glad that you're here. But let me ask you an earnest question. Was there any preparation before that we came? Was there any earnest prayer? Was there any humbling yourself before the throne of heaven and saying, Lord God, we're hungry. We can't eat except you feed us manna from above. Was there any preparation? You see, physically, if there was no preparation, there was no food. You understand that? I don't think it's any different spiritually. I think that Unless, unless we see, we say we want revival. But let me ask you something. Are you willing to pay the price? Are we? Well, that's the question. Humble yourself. That's the first ingredient. And next comes prayer. Humble yourselves and pray. I don't mean just these little, little prayers. And I'm not saying I can't pray like I want to. I can't pray like others can. But sometimes the sincere desires of my heart make it to the throne of God. I have no doubts about that because He's answered them in the past. And so if, if the God that we serve is able to deliver us from sin, able to deliver us from the pit, we are first-hand witness. There's a lady right to my left and your right and that was given basically a death sentence a month ago. And now as she is whole once again, if God is able to do that, why don't we call out for His help? We know He's that powerful. I know it's, sometimes the doctors are confused. We can't explain it. I can't. 
I can explain every last bit of it. And the, the prayer of the faith shall move the heart of God. That's exactly the way it works. Humble yourself and pray. And seek my face. That's something we need to be searching for. Oh, I want God to move about this place. I wish the Holy Ghost would just come in and walk up and down the aisles. I walk in and out of the pews. I wish that every last one of us would feel the power of the Holy Spirit to seek my face. Now comes turn from their wicked ways. If I'm honest with you, in the midst of our churches, repentance is just a doctrine for the lost. That's what we teach. It is a doctrine for the lost. John the Baptist came preaching a different doctrine. He came for the first time preaching repentance, repentance to bring forth fruits worthy and meet for repentance. I used to, it is an ingredient for salvation as well. It's in that recipe. Repentance will not save you, but you cannot get saved without it. It's a key ingredient for the lost, absolutely. Could I say this morning, it's a recipe for the church? You know what I say? I probably wouldn't like that either. But let me just be perfectly frank with you. We have got away from the doctrine of repentance amongst God's people. We really have. Well, if it's a key ingredient, you try to have a revival without that key ingredient, it won't be right. You change the recipe. You change the outcome. Repentance, what is that? I used to go to church with a guy lived in Buckhouse Lakersville over that way. And without faith, he had a besetting sin. And it was, it was drinking. He liked his alcohol. Now, I can't take the Bible and prove to you one drink of alcohol is wrong. We know that lines a mocker. We know that strong drink rages. But, but, but we do have a covenant. But I used to go to church with this guy. And the reason why I said I can't prove that it's wrong is I believe Jesus turned water to wine. I believe that Paul said, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. But we know that we, but he, he had a besetting sin. He locked his drink. And without fail, every Sunday, the man would stand up and ask the church to forgive him for drinking. Now, is that repentance? Repentance is more than just simply being sorry. It's a change in your behavior. That is true repentance. Why is that an ingredient? Why why should my repentance hinder or help somebody else? Well, I can take you to a mark of Scripture in the book of Joshua. I can take you to a man by the name of Achan. And keep in mind, they had just went through Jericho. They had just overcome maybe the strongest battle that they would have to face. And they got it out of the way first thing. As soon as they crossed Jordan, they came to Jericho. A great, massive, walled city. And they depended upon God and His seemingly in the eyes of man's foolish strategy. But it worked. 
And so, in a miracle, they, they, they laid hold and they seized Jericho. Outside of Jericho, there was a little town named Ai. <coughs> and in this little town, Joshua sent spies up. And the word came back, we don't need many to go and fight. Two or three thousand is all that it's going to take. Just a few thousand. So Joshua sent those men. And they turned. And they fled. And that little bitty town put Israel on the run. Joshua fell on his face. Joshua had no idea why. And he said, God, why? Why would you allow us to take this great city and then allow us to fall before this little city? He said, Lord, I don't understand. And God said, Joshua, there is sin in the camp. He said, there's sin in Israel. And somebody's taken an accursed thing. That was news to Joshua. Let me be honest with you. I have no idea what your, what your condition is. I have no idea what you've done this week, last week. I have no idea. I had no idea who was going to be here today. Joshua had no idea. Until God said there's sin in the midst. And I will not. I will not tolerate sin. And so Joshua began to call the families. And he called the tribes of Israel. And he called the tribes one by one. And then he found the tribe. And then he called families one by one. And he called the families. And he got down to a one man. He said, Achan, what have you done? And Achan said, forgive me. God said not to take anything out of, out of, out of Jericho. Not to take it. But he said, I, I saw a goodly Babylonian garment. And I saw a wedge of gold. And some silver. And I took all of that and I hid it in my tent. Joshua called all of Israel together. Called this man Achan. Called his family, his wife, his children. They stoned them with stones and burnt them in a fire. Why? Could you imagine the children as they looked up to their daddy? Daddy, why? Why are they pelting us with stones? And the man had to say, it's my fault. Don't misunderstand me. The lost that die and go to hell, it won't be our fault. It'll be theirs. They'll stand in judgment. However, if we want to see revival and give them an opportunity, we must repent of our sins. We have to. You know, not very long ago, not very long ago, I can remember people used to make a public confession. We have a covenant. I don't even get to Nehemiah. 
I'm sorry about that. Nehemiah, uh, I still got a little time. Nehemiah, in that book, it said this was a time when, when Israel had returned. They had been in captivity and they had returned. And now they had built the temple. And now they had built the wall. And now what do the people say? Ezra, the scribe, the priest, come and read to us out of the book of the law. And you know what Ezra done? He had a copy. Probably most of them had never seen it and never heard it. It said from morning until midday, they listened unto the words of God from morning until midday. It's right now 10 to 12 and some of you are probably already anxious to go. That's the way it is now. If you want a recipe for revival, it has to start with people wanting to hear the Word of God. They heard it half a day from morning until noon. They listened. They stood. The Bible said Ezra was on a pulpit that they had made for that occasion. And then there was people up there with him. And then apparently there was more people that I didn't read their names. They were walking through the crowd. And you know what they were doing? They were causing people to understand what they had just heard. You know what the reading of that law did? That was on the first day of that month. The first day of the month. What we read in chapter 9 was the same month. And it was the 24th day of that month. For 24 days, the people had a mind to listen to the Word of God. The 24th day, Ezra came unto them. And what did it say then? It said that they, the 24th day, they assembled with sackcloth and earth upon them. What does that say? It means the reading of the law convicted them and convicted them in such a way they repented in sackcloth. The Word of God has an effect for those that listen. It will cause you to repent. You see, it's last week, last week I had a lot of amens. But I was dealing with, with LGBT and all of that. I doubt I'll get many amens on this statement. We have a problem in our churches, that's not the only sexual sin. We have a problem with fornication, with adultery. Not as enthusiastic, amen. That's all right. I'm telling you. See, it's easy. It's easy as long as we make it two sided, us and them. The, the transgender crowd. Now, it's easy to separate that. Now, what about the people among us with other sins? They're just as harmful as that is. Harmful to the well-being of their soul. 
harmful to the well-being of our church. You see this covenant? When you go out of here, when I go out of here, I represent LaFayette Missionary Baptist Church. Not only that, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. But the Word of God, why aren't people repenting? I can remember public sins where the town knew about it and people would stand and say, listen, I've brought reproach upon my God and upon this church. And you know what? The church must and willfully will restore fellowship and it'll be unity. That's what true repentance is. It's not just feeling sorry or feeling bad. It's plotting the course and changing the actions of our lives. That is true repentance. Not just a mouth work. But your life were to change. And repentance comes because three weeks earlier they heard the law and now it was the day of atonement and their sins were new and fresh. See, they maybe they've never been told. Maybe lots of people have never been told you're a sinner. Who are you, preacher, to judge my life? I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's all that I am. I don't have the authority to tell you how to live, who to live with. Who to shack up with? Who to fornicate? That's not, I don't have that authority. There is one that does. And his name is Jesus. And so, in, in, the, in Nehemiah, it said they fasted, they wept, they knew their sins, and they wept. How long has it been since you wept over your sins? See, it's easy to weep for other people's sins. How long has it been since we wept over ours? And the seed of Israel separated themselves. That's the next thing they did. They separated. God called us to be separated from the world. They separated themselves. And they stood in their place and read the book of the law for a fourth part of the day. A fourth part of the day, they didn't see, they didn't have padded pews. They stood and they read for a fourth of a day. And another fourth, they confessed. They repented. They confessed their sins before an almighty God. Then they worshiped. Change the recipe. Change the result. Conchita had her thoughts in line with mine a while ago when she said that about how, how can we not thank Him for all that He's done? He's been a good God to me. We mentioned our brother and our sister recently came back from New York. I'm telling you, God on the throne is good to this church. When's the last time that you just worshipped Him? Not, not to ask anything of Him. If you read the rest of that chapter of Ezra, 
or Nehemiah, you know what it says? It said they started at the time of Abraham and they traced how God had moved in their life all the way down until the present day. This was written about 435 or so B.C. It's in the middle of the New Testament, but it happened right at the end of the New Testament chronologically. They started at Abraham, went all the way down through Moses, through Abraham, through David, through Solomon, through every promise of God, and they said, He is worthy and He is faithful. And they worshipped Him. The recipe for revival must have... Why is this important? Because we're going to have one here in about six weeks or so. If we don't have the ingredients right, if we substitute any of our non-Bible doctrine, if we substitute any of our man-made... Not all traditions are bad. But some of them do cause confusion. If we substitute anything, the aroma, it might look right. It might look good. You remember the turkey? I don't know why this thought. Remember the turkey on Lampoon's Christmas vacation? How pretty it was. They cracked it open. It was dry and smoky. Well, that's a picture. If you substitute the ingredients, it might look appetizing to the flesh. But inside it could be dried up. The real ingredients must contain a, a willingness for God's people to put in time, to put in effort, to put in work, to put in prayer, to put in supplication. If you want a revival, it will come, but not without a cost, not without a price. And so, if you want to, if you want to, we can't cook up a revival. But God has provided us with the ingredients. We must be willing to humble ourselves under the hand of God and begin to seek His faith for our lives. And say, God, those things that are not pleasing to you and not just a mealy mouth, wishy washy, it must come from the depths of our hearts. Those things that are sour, that are sinful, that are unpleasing, that maybe I don't even realize, but if it's upsetting our relationship with Thee, then dear God, cut them out and separate me from them. We've got a, a lot of children that need to be saved. Maybe they are. Maybe this is to somebody that's been saved and never confessed. Do you understand? Do you understand the hindrance that puts on the church of God? I don't know if there's anybody in that state or not. I have no idea. I don't know your heart. I'm saying, if you want, it's going to take all of us. All of us. I mean to work together. We can't produce a revival. Our helpers can't produce a revival. But God has given us those ingredients. Humble yourself and pray and seek my face. Then comes one that's overlooked. Turn from their wicked ways. 
Solomon right before, right before 7.14, in chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles and verse 1, it said, the fire of heaven came down and it consumed the offering. It let the church know that God is with us in the temple. Has He not let this church at Lafayette know from time to time